everybody. Welcome back to the Midtown Midweek Podcast, where we take the sermon on Sunday and we unpack it more so that we can love Jesus more. I'm here once again with Pastor Michael Bailey. Hey, hey everybody. How we doing? I'm good, brother. I'm really good. I think you have the record now. I think this is the fourth one that you've done. Is it? I think you and Tim were neck and neck for a long time. And then Tim was saying, well, I'm going to beat Bailey because I'm teaching five <laughs> times. However, last week was John instead. So y'all uh, are going to end right. up tied. Uh, yeah. Tim and I are going to end up tied because he's got next week. This is a good run. It's a good run. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Actually, coming and recording the podcast is one of my favorite parts about getting to preach on Sundays. Yeah. I just love getting to, A, go in a little bit more detail, but I'd like to get to hang out with you. Yeah. You're a great host. I don't know if anybody's hey, told you that. Thanks, man. Well, you have the <laughs> podcast resume. So I was a little intimidated <laughs> that first week that you and I were set to record. Well, I think it was like the first week or the second week when we were doing this whole podcast setup and I didn't really know what I was doing or how to record. So I think we're like makeshift holding our microphones. <laughs> oh, that was true. And yeah. It was just some weird That was things. true. I've seen it all though. Like I, I've, oh, yes, I've done a fantasy football podcast before. But it's pretty thrown together as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know? But you would never know. You would never know. And also the setup now is pretty great. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, we are in the downtown building upstairs where the children's nursery is. So right now, Bailey and I are six feet apart and we are on little rocking chairs. Uh, and it's, it's, it's lovely. Delightful. We are surrounded by children's toys. Yes. It's a good, it's a good setup. I dig it. Yeah. It's pleasant. Michael, let's go ahead and let's get into it. What were some things that didn't make the final cut of the sermon? Yeah. I typically just have a hard time anytime that I preach because I feel like I have so many things that I want to say and so little time to actually do it. Uh, but there, yeah, there were, there were a good bit of things that I really wanted to dive into. So I'll give a couple of them out front and then we can kind of go back in and talk about them in a little bit more detail. Uh, one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to talk a little bit more uh, about our cultural current that, so, you know, for those of you who've heard the sermon before, you know, you've listened to this, which I assume is most of you who are are out there. Uh, you know, we were talking about the love of money and how uh, our love of money is typically a scene in our discontent and our excess and our basically the endless pursuit of more. Like we're just a people who are, we just want more. We believe the next best thing, the next thing is actually going to deliver me into the good life or whatever. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about culturally how we got there because that is not just a us thing. It is a culture thing. Like the American culture just buys into that. And so there was a lot of work that I wanted to do un unpacking a bit of that because there's some really fascinating information out there regarding how we got to where we are. Uh, but the second thing too is I wanted to talk more about Jesus's teaching specifically in specifically Luke 12. That, it, that was a auxiliary text that I had been doing a lot of meditating on just personally and prep for the series. And so a lot of what Jesus was teaching there really was like, man, uh, on my heart for a lot of it. And I wanted, I wanted to get to talk about it, but you know, I'm preaching first Timothy chapter six. So it's like, uh, I'll do a sermon on Luke chapter 12 later, but there were yeah. a lot of good nuggets in there. Which of those would you like to talk about first? Let's talk about that first thing. Yeah. The, uh, the cultural waters we're swimming in. Yeah. So I'll make a recommendation, a documentary recommendation to everybody listening. Uh, it is The Century of Self, and it is on YouTube. And it talks about how 
it's like a four-part series. It's kind of long, so take it in, in strides. This will be on the show notes, and it was on PBS, so this isn't some random documentary <laughs> yeah. we found on YouTube, okay? There's, there's <laughs> That's some a credit, really good a caveat right there. Yeah, there's a uh-huh. lot of credibility behind this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can most easily watch it on YouTube. It is where I most easily watched it. Uh, and it deals with a lot of what has become the uh, common... American ethos now, uh, in terms of our, uh, in terms of how we got to this place of, you know, prioritizing the autonomous self and, uh, putting out and our, our, basically our desires being the chief thing that, um, motivates us and, uh, the, our chief concern and how we make decisions and all that. But, uh, the first part of it deals specifically with how we became a culture that is just so consumed with consuming. Uh, and so some of the stuff that, you know, I, we had, I'd picked up from this documentary was about a guy named Edward Bernays. He was an Austrian American pioneer in public relations. Uh, and he is listed as one of the most 100 influential American Americans in the 20th century. Most people don't even know his name. Mm -hmm. They've never heard of him. I had never heard of him prior to this, but his claim to fame was basically he kind of came out with the idea uh, or the idea that made him so influential that he came out with was post-World War II. uh, And his premise was that if the Germans could use propaganda to shape German people during war, could we actually use the same tactics of propaganda on Americans during peace? But instead of like inciting Americans up for war, inciting them up to buy stuff. And so he pitched his idea to business leaders uh, and he has since been called the father of American advertising. Uh, And so like there's this whole... I don't know how much detail we need to go into, but like there's this whole like open secret that after World War II, politicians and bankers and advertisers wanted to get Americans to buy as much stuff as possible because after the war, like we had so much excess production from everything we were trying to crank out for the war uh, that businesses were afraid that they would just be sitting on inventory uh, and nobody would buy it when our boys, you know, came home or whatever. Uh, And so Bernays got together, you know, with these business leaders who got together with politicians and whatnot. And they basically came up with this strategy of like, no, let's convince the people that they need to buy more. Uh, and they, the big thing was they wanted to shift from a market based on need to a market based on desire. So appeal to people's wants, appeal to people's drives for the good life, convince them that buying this product will usher them basically into a higher quality of life. Uh, Paul Miser of the Lehman Brothers um, actually had this quote, like, I mean, he said as much, he said, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. I mean, this is a marketing exec saying, this is how we have to move people. And I don't know what you think about when you hear that quote, but the first place my mind goes to is the iPhone, like planned obsolescence. Like we are delivering this product that we are already planning to make obsolete five years down the road and you're going to want to buy one. And Mm -hmm. we're going to convince you that you are behind the times if you don't buy one. I think I made the joke in, in my sermon. It's like, we, we buy into this idea that we've got to get the new phone with the three cameras. Why? Like, why is that better? Nobody knows why that, why is that better, but you need it mm-hmm. and you want it, you know? Uh, and we just, I mean, we're, we just buy that ethos, you know, over and over again. And it has, it has now just become the predominant way of thinking. Like people just think this way. It is how we operate. It is uh, the way we construct our lives. Like we don't even think twice 
about consuming. We don't think in terms of just basic needs. We absolutely think about products and what they say about us, how they give us status, how they, you know, give us, you know, the life we've always dreamed of or whatever it may be. There was another quote that I really wanted to throw in there too on all this. It was from a guy from uh, named Victor Lebo, uh, who wrote this for the Journal of Retailing, which was a magazine for basically retail professionals in 1955. So around the same era. He said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, right? Whoa. Uh, into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. These are his words, not mine. Uh, the measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige is now to be found in our consumptive patterns, the very meaning and significance of our lives today expressed in consumptive terms. The greater the pressures upon the individual to conform to safe and accepted social standards, the more does he tend to express his aspirations and his individuality in terms of what he wears, drives, eats, his home, his car, his pattern of food, his hobbies. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, displaced, discarded at an ever-increasing pace. We need to have people eat, drink, dress, drive, live with ever more complicated and they're ever more and, and therefore constantly more expensive consumption. Wild. Wild. Yeah. I mean, and you you hear these things and you automatically go, or at least I do, oh yeah. That's how we live, 100%. And we just don't think anything about it. And this is, so this is part of the reason why even in the sermon, I put out the proposition that I think far more of us live with the love of money than we actually think do. Mm -hmm. uh, that in fact, this actually exists in us way more than we're even aware. And we just don't see it because it's the water that we swim in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you mentioned Bernays, Important to know, I believe he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. I believe that's right, yeah. So Sigmund Freud, the godfather of modern psychology, who said the reason why you are the way you are is because of your subconscious, mm -hmm. because of underlying desires. And so then Bernays takes this psychological concept and then brings it over to this capitalistic yeah framework. Yeah. Uh, so like we said, that, that documentary is in the show notes. If you want just even a 10-minute clip that boils down that documentary and that idea that we're talking about, we'll put that in the show notes as well. But it is wild when you watch yeah. it. And even when you think about, and I understand I'm painting this in very broad terms, but the left versus the right. Mm -hmm. The left in a lot of ways is all about personal fulfillment and mm -hmm. no restraint for you expressing your true self. And the right is all about thinking about the economy and capitalism and products and goods. And yet it is actually all merged they together. They work together. If they you want to truly express yourself yeah. by this stuff. That's right. And we're seeing that most clearly, like you That's said, right. with the tech industry. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, and the tech industry is obviously the easiest one to pick on, but we do it all the time with mm -hmm. all kinds of other things. But yeah, dude, it is, it is wild. We are consumers. Mm -hmm. We love money. Mm -hmm. And we need to repent. One of the tensions that we've, I felt with this sermon was, uh, <clears throat> so I think we had some robust dialogue about this in um, teaching team. Yeah, robust dialogue is the way to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I did have, I felt like this pressure of like, or this tension rather of wanting to be appropriately gentle, but also appropriately sharp. 
because I like I just felt this like pull in me of like, man, I don't know how to wake us up to this reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to effectively help us see this and not just let all of our talk about money and giving and whatever be white noise, you know, while also not being unnecessarily or unfruitful in in the words, you know, that that I'm saying. Because the reality of it is, is it's not wrong to buy things. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong to have money. Like, it's not wrong. That's not wrong. And you, I don't want anybody to hear what we talk about when we talk about money to think, oh man, I'm, I'm guilty and I'm a sinner because I have money. No, you're guilty and a sinner because you, you know, stand in opposition to God. Like that, yeah. that has nothing to do with your money. Like yeah. you can be righteous with your money. Uh, and God has given you that money. Like he's given you the wealth that you have and it, it can be used for immense good. It's just that there's a danger there. And I'm just afraid that it's a danger that most of us are asleep to. Yeah. The less stuff you have, the more you are able to focus on what really matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a connection between uh, simplicity of stuff and simplicity of heart. That's actually a really good segue into the stuff from Luke 12 that was really messing with me Mm -hmm. when I was preparing to preach this sermon. Um, So, you know, we understand most everything through the teachings of Jesus. You know, like what Jesus taught you know, is how we are trying to pattern our lives. And Jesus had some strong things to say mm-hmm. about money. Mm-hmm. So for example, this one is not in Luke 12 per se. This is back in Luke 6. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And then just a few verses later, he says, woe to the rich. Uh, and it's like, that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to start explaining away what Jesus means here. And it's like, okay, why am I trying to do that? What if Jesus means what he says? Yeah. What if it is more blessed to be poor? You know, like what, what if that is a real true thing? You know, uh, like the American in me just wants to be like, uh-uh, nah, 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 nah. Uh, but it's like you were saying, like less stuff actually gets us more of what we really need, which is God, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the point that Jesus is trying to make is like when you, when you, don't have much, you recognize that God is your only hope. He's your only shot. And he's the one who actually does the providing. You get to see him come through in, in different ways, which I find to be radically encouraging, but you know, it just messed with me. And then I got into Luke 12 and Jesus is just like, he talk, talks about the parable of the rich fool. You know, he stores up, which I think there's a one-to-one in the bigger barns that he creates for himself and our pandemic of storage facilities in the Mm US. The rich man stores up all of his goods uh, and he's just like, I'm just going to sit back and live the easy life essentially. And Jesus says in that parable, uh, or God says in that parable that Jesus gives, uh, you fool. Basically, you big dummy. You big Mm -hmm. idiot. Like, your life is going to be required of you tonight. You've missed missed everything I was intending you to do with this money and you just stored it up and now it's going to rot. You have wasted what I've given you. And it's this, just a severe warning to us of like, we, we think, and there is a, a realm in which this is true, saving is wise and responsible. But we tend to think like, let's just keep it all in and store up for ourselves and we'll be living on easy street. When it's like, dude, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Mm-hmm. Use your money for what God has been, given in front of you to use it for now because your life is going to be required of you tonight, maybe. you know, And you need to live in, in that reality. But flowing out of that parable, uh, the next part of Luke 12, Jesus goes into the famous teaching about anxiety, which I just think shows, A, the brilliance of Luke uh, connecting yep. <clears throat> these teachings of Jesus, yep. but also the utter genius of Jesus uh, 
going right out of, because it's almost like he hears our pushback of like, no, I have to save. If I don't save, what's going to become of my life? Let's talk about your anxiety. That's right. Uh, Consider that God is the one who clothes the flowers of the field. Consider that God feeds the birds of the air. You are more valuable than they. Seek first the kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then he goes on, like in, in Matthew, he just ends there. Yeah. But then in Luke, he goes on, very next line is, so sell your possessions and give to the poor. Yeah. We tend to bottle those down into these individual units. And yet the biblical authors and Jesus knew very well what he was doing. Yes. That's yes. Right. I mean, it's it's utterly brilliant. I'm just like, I understand that it's going to put you in a spot of anxiety to uh, approach your money this way. Do it anyway. Trust the Lord and he will provide. You're more valuable than birds and flowers. Yeah. Trust that that is true. That is so challenging for me. And I, I mean, I don't want to just paint the narrative like, oh, that's challenging for us as Americans. I think that's challenging for humans across the globe. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, you know, in, in God's word. Like it hits humanity everywhere. But I do think specifically for us where like I, it, it is so tempting to put our security in money, to trust in our Roth IRAs, to trust in the stock market, to trust in whatever little amount of wealth we've been able to build for ourselves over and above trusting in God. And Jesus just cuts at the root of that. He's like, look, either God's going to be God or money's going to be God, but you can't have it both ways. That's right. I think that is a really helpful thing you said of even the pushback you were feeling Mm -hmm. as you were preparing and examining the words of Jesus. And there is this tendency whenever we feel this pushback to want to do some mental gymnastics to say, well, that couldn't be what he really means. Or uh, when we talk about money, in church, the typical pushback actually reveals more about our hearts more than yeah, anything else. That's so exactly when people right. say, oh, here comes the money talk, you're going to guilt trip me. Actually, what does that reveal about your heart yeah, when you what respond that, that way? Yeah, to get to the heart of it. That's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because how we respond, it reveals our hearts. I love, so there was a quote I also stumbled across for this sermon. Uh, that tradition holds that it was attributed to Martin Luther. I couldn't actually find whether or not that was actually true, but allegedly Martin Luther said there are three conversions that a person needs to experience, a conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the pocketbook. That's good. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Uh, and it's real though. You know, it's real. Like we, we have to come to a place where we understand that our hearts and our, and our wallets are intricately connected. And I mean, there's just no two ways about it. You spend money on what you love. You spend money on what you think promises eternal life. You do. You do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we need to do some serious investigating of our uh, credit card statements Mm -hmm. so that they, we, I mean, so that we learn, hey, what, what do I actually think is valuable? Mm -hmm. What, What am I actually trusting in or what am I believing, you know, in? In these moments, the way you landed was so helpful that it is an invitation to experience eternal life right here, right now. And so even for folks at our church who are listening to this, who are giving 10%, you know, I can tend to listen to a sermon like this and think, well, I do 10%. So I'm good. I don't need to be convicted right here because I've done, I've done my part. Hey, I open up my home. I'm fine. I'm fine. And yet if that is my pushback of, God, you better not convict me because I am doing my part. Yeah. Well, then once again, what does that reveal about yeah, me? Yeah, well, it's like, because when we think about it of like, I'm fine, I've done enough. We're not, it's actually showing us what we what we believe about living this way. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, and I, 
I, I actually say this to confess. Like, I think one of the hardest parts for me in all of this is like, I tend to uh, mentally or theologically agree with Jesus's teachings. But on a heart level, I'm like, oh, but he can't really be right, mm-hmm. you know, about this. Like, that can't really be the blessed life, you know? Uh, so, like, when, when I offer that pushback, I'm like, well, I've done enough. Or I don't want to be challenged to do anymore. I look at that, like, I look at the challenge like it's a negative thing instead of a positive thing. I'm yeah. like, no, actually, there's more to be offered to me. Like, Jesus has something for me in living this way. I mean, this is the thing that I try to say, I mean— almost every other time that I get up and preach is that God is not trying to take anything away from us. I feel like if we could get that truth into our souls, we would be so much better off. God is not trying to take anything away from you. He gets no joy out of taking things that are good for you away from you. That's not his business. He is for our joy. Mm -hmm. He is for it. And every single command that he gives us is always and only for our joy. And if we could just buy into that, oh man, like, I mean, we wouldn't argue. We wouldn't yeah. put up a fuss about like what what's be, what Jesus is asking us to do here or how he's calling us to live. But we would believe, no, this is for my good and I'm going to chase that with everything. But it's the sin within us that wants us to question that. Did God really say, is he really for your good? That gets us yeah, all the time. That, that constant pushback. Even if you understood that one concept, he's for my good. He is for my absolute joy. He is for me experiencing eternal life before I die we wouldn't even be working through the nuances of, okay, well then explain to me how money, da-da-da. Explain <laughs> yeah. to me how a relationship, da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes a, okay, I don't quite clearly understand this, Lord, but this is what you call me but to I do. I trust you. I trust you. And, and that's that not to beautiful. say that there's not room or good in understanding things because of Absolutely. course we want to understand yeah. so that we can help people, you yeah. know? Uh, but the prove it to me, God, that's the posture we have to be be careful of. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. Well, God's not on the dock, man. Like he's not, he's not sitting in the courtroom and you're judging jury over him, you yeah. know? Uh, but that took a little bit more of a, a dark uh, turn. <laughs> we might want to go a little bit more positive. Yeah. Uh, anything else that didn't make the sermon? Uh, I don't know if there's really anything else that didn't make it. I do. So there's one question that you have pretty consistently asked since this is my fourth time on the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question that you've pretty consistently asked that uh, has been really helpful for me preparing even preparing to preach, but preparing for, you know, this conversation is just like, how is the spirit been shaping me in the midst of this process? Mm -hmm. You know? And I think, I think that is an important nugget for all preachers to be considering because what can sometimes happen when we preach is we preach to people instead of preaching to ourselves first, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, and I, I don't want that to be true of me. So I'm thankful that you've consistently asked that question because it helps me keep that framework in front of my, my mind. Uh, but for me, you know, like I think, I think the big challenge in this and the way it's been personally formative for me has been a, I, I feel convicted that I probably need to go through and really, really with a fine tooth comb, look at my budget a little bit more closely and, and really inspect am I using this money for what this money's purpose is? You know? Uh, So obviously, am I using this money to meet the needs of me and my family? Of course. Uh, But am I using my money to bless others? Am Am I really using my money to be intentional for things of the kingdom? And none of that's to say that we don't need to spend money on our hobbies or anything like that. But am I using the money that I spend there 
also for the glory of God and the good of other people. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Or, or do I let all of this terminate on myself? So, I mean, the, most of you who know me know, you know, I'm a big hunter. Like I, I like to be out in the woods, up a tree with a gun. Like I like that. Uh, do I let that just be about me though? You know, and do I let the money that I choose to spend there be all about me? Do I let it just kind of insist and terminate on my personal pleasure of this hobby? Not that there's anything wrong with enjoying the hobby. God has given us that hobby. It is a wonderful, good, blessing thing. But do I all do I only think of it in terms of self selfishness, or do I ever blossom out and consider, all right, what what is the space in which God has given me to use this to bless others as well? It's just been a challenging thought for me, uh, and one that I really do. Kind of now that now that I'm on the other side of this sermon, really want to go back through and sit down with my family and talk about how we're doing things and how how we might leverage what we're spending to be even more fruitful than it currently is, you know, um, and that kind of thing. So that's been that was a big takeaway for me. Yeah, I love that. Even with your diagnostics of can you give this away or sell it or share it, if there are things that you enjoy to the glory of God, man, praise Jesus and invite another life group member. In yeah, on, exactly. Know? That's a, that's a beautiful opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Michael. Love yeah, it. Man.